0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch coming up on the this Thursday the edition.
0: Pulls no punches in the fight against COVID-19. It's a plan that I think should unite us. I was President
1: Biden earlier today announcing a booster plan for his fight against covid But on the other end of Pennsylvania Avenue, some lawmakers in Congress, who hold the purse strings, by the way, are saying they will not approve a temporary funding measure for the federal government unless the Biden administration drops its COVID shot mandate. The federal government runs out of money tomorrow night at midnight. Kansas Senator Dr. Roger Marshall joins us with the latest from Capitol
2: Hill in just a moment. And yesterday... Indeed, to our observers, such as USURF, not only was there no improvement in Nigeria's record to warrant such a removal, the situation appears to have actually worsened. That
1: was New Jersey. Congressman Chris Smith pressing President Biden's State Department yesterday on pulling the rug out from underneath Christians and other religious minorities in Nigeria. The Biden administration removed Nigeria's government from the U.S.'s annual watch list of countries that allow or engage in religious persecution. Congressman Chris Smith joins us later with more on that story. And the Women's Tennis Association is doing something that some of America's top corporations and major sports leagues won't do, display courage and resolve in standing up to communist China.
2: The statement, I think, reflects that what we said is true. Uh, We're planning to suspend our events until such time that the Chinese authorities uh, do the appropriate
1: thing. That was Steve Simon, chairman and CEO of the Women's Tennis Association yesterday on CNN. Asian expert Gordon Chang is here with more on what the Tennis Association is doing in standing up to communist China. Also, the analysis continues of yesterday's Supreme Court hearing on the Mississippi abortion case. There is a growing consensus that the days of Roe and Casey's abortion on demand are numbered. But could the outcome of this case mean even more? Louisiana Congressman Mike Johnson, a close friend and constitutional attorney, joins me to take a closer look at yesterday's hearings, the website, tonyperkins.com. By the way, through December the 10th, we're having a stand mug giveaway. That's right, one of these stand mugs can be yours. Just text the word mug to 67742. That's mug to 67742. And tell us what you stand for and why for your chance to win a US made 15 ounce. Stand Mug. Each day of the contest, I will, I will announce the Stand Mug giveaway winner live right here on Washington Watch, along with their What I Stand For and why submission. By the way, today's mug giveaway winner is Jim from South Carolina. Jim shared this. He said, quote, I stand for Jesus and the life of all, especially the innocent life of unborn babies, and I want to declare it to the world, end quote. Well, Jim, so do we, and congratulations on winning your mug. Again, your chance to win the stand mug. Just text the word mug to 67742. Follow the links over to enter. The message and data rates may apply. Reply, stop to cancel. Help for help. Visit frc.org slash text for terms and conditions and our privacy policy. I'm required to say all of that. Now, not everyone can win, but you can still purchase a stand mug. It's a great gift for Christmas. Just visit TonyPerkins.com and find out how you can get one. All right, U.S. Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas is leading a group of Republican senators in pledging to oppose all efforts to implement and enforce President Biden's sweeping set of vaccine mandates, particularly on uh, upcoming spending measures considered by the U.S. Senate. Now, yesterday, a group of Senate, Senate Republicans sent a letter to Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer affirming that they will not vote for or support support closure, culture on any continuing resolution in the absence of language protecting Americans from this action. They're simply asking for the opportunity to vote on a measure that would defund any effort to force this mandate on the American people. Well, will they succeed? Joining us now to talk more about this is Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas. He is a member of the Committee on Small Business and Entrepreneurship a member of the Committee of Health, Education, and Labor and Pensions. He is a former business owner and physician, and he's a leader in the Senate. Senator, welcome back to the program.
3: Tony, it's great to see you. Good afternoon. Well, first, can I get your
1: reactions to the president's remarks today in announcing new actions to uh, to
3: combat COVID-19? Yeah. Well, well Tony, I Sometimes the, the White House sends mixed messages. This would be my message for Americans. 92% of Americans, according to the CDC, health, now have some level of immunity to COVID. Uh, we think that natural immunity is going to serve you well. We think the vaccinations will serve you well, and the boosters will probably be required as well. But something every one of us can do is work on our own immunity. So you know, eat healthy, exercise, get seven hours of sleep all those things that our grandma talked about. So that's what I'm going to stay focused on. Uh, there's other issues, even more than COVID going on out there. Um, we talk about o- o- Omicron if you want to in a little bit, but uh, you know, stay the course, right? Everyone stay the course, do what our grandmas told us to do.
1: Well, President Biden uh, kind of feels like everybody should get in line with his plan, and that includes you. He kind of made a veiled reference to uh, you and your colleagues uh, there in the Senate, uh, I'm going to play a clip of uh, what he had to say today. Play clip number four, please.
0: And it should be and should get bipartisan support, in my humble opinion. And it should unite us, not continue to separate us. Parenthetically, you all know that there are literally, as it relates to whether or not we're going to pay the federal debt, whether we're going to, in fact, have a continuing resolution, et cetera. Some of my friends on the other team are arguing that if I don't commit that there'll never be any more mandates, they're going to let us default. In the neighborhood I come from in Claremont, they'd look at me and say, go figure.
3: Senator, how do you respond? (laughs) Well, my whole push here is we don't want an economic shutdown, right? And by the way, if there were no more federal mandates, we'd be okay with that one. But specifically, we don't want a federal mandate uh, requiring businesses above any businesses. But specifically, his order is anybody with more than 100 employees will be uh, fined by OSHA if if everybody's not vaccinated. That's going to be an economic shutdown, right? Three four hundred thousand jobs will be affected in Kansas, uh, Arizona. A million jobs would be impacted. Georgia one point eight million dollars would be one well, point eight million people would lose their jobs in Georgia as well. So we're trying to prevent an economic shutdown. We asked uh, Leader Schumer, President or Senator Schumer, months over a month ago to say, "Look, Lux us fix this problem before we get to this date, before we get to midnight tomorrow." He's waited till today to take a peek at this. Uh, again, in the background, 92% of Americans have some level of immunity. So to, to
1: be very clear what you're asking for, what the Republicans that are, have sent this letter to Senator Schumer, you're simply asking for a vote on the Senate floor as this continuing resolution in, in agreement to allow it to fast track, to be able to get to the floor and have a vote on it before midnight tomorrow night. You're simply saying, well, let's have a vote as to whether or not we can defund these Biden-imposed mandates. Is that is that correct?
3: Yeah. Tony, it, it is just that simple. And by the way, Schumer could have uh, bypassed us if he had been leading a competent government. He could have bypassed unanimous consent if he would have started this process three or four days ago. But I'm going to use every tool I can to fight for Americans, to fight for Kansans. Uh, so, so he's given us this opportunity to defund OSHA over this issue. Um, I value people's jobs. And it's more than just jobs. It's this 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 vaccine mandate is going to cause brownouts. Those people that keep your lights on, uh, we're going to lose some of those folks. So we'll have brownouts. It's going to impact national security. It's going to impact supply chains and increase inflation. And I know all your listeners are being impacted by inflation as well.
1: All right. So what are they afraid of? I mean, they control the Senate. You're just saying, let's have a vote. And the 51 senators say, all right, we're not going to fund mandates, then they get their funding for government, but they can't mandate these sh- shots. But if they are uh, so convincing in their justification for these mandates, then the Senate votes for it and
3: it moves forward, right? Yeah, yeah, I- I- exactly. And I think that's when we get in the politics of this, right? So may- maybe, like I mentioned, one million jobs in Arizona 1.8 million jobs at stake in Georgia. So we're going to make a couple of senators take a tough vote. And so it's up to the president. It's up to Schumer. Does he want to shut the government down over this? That's up to them. I don't want to shut the government down, but I don't want this vaccine mandate. Uh, and I don't want to kill jobs across the country.
1: Well, I think, and I think I speak for our listeners all across America, including a lot of your constituents in Kansas, is that they are looking for Republicans in the Congress to stand up to the overreach of the Biden administration, which I see you doing by leading this effort in the Senate to to simply say, give us a vote. Let us vote on whether or not this should be done. The courts have already said the president has overreached in his authority. This is the role of Congress. And it looks like to me that Congress is shirting its responsibility.
3: Yeah, Tony. I think the folks all across the country want to see Republicans fighting harder, and that's what I committed to. I've been a fighter my whole life. You, you, you talked about the dawes Mississippi case. I've been fighting to protect life uh, at conception my whole entire life as an obstetrician. I'm going to keep fighting to protect life. I'm going to keep fighting to protect our God-given constitutional rights. Uh, the big picture here is this: this is an unconstitutional federal vaccine mandate. All the courts agree with that. Let's give those employers some certainty. I signed a paycheck every other week for 25 years. I know what it's like to have federal government issues out there that tie my hands. Let's give those employers some certainty back home. Let's get rid of this OSHA mandate. Let's make sure they have no funding that they can go after my businesses back home.
1: I I could not agree with you more, Senator, and and again, reflecting on the Dobbs case yesterday, the Supreme Court would not have been taking on that issue had it not been state legislators that had been pushing the issue of life. You know, Congress hasn't done anything uh, to speak of. Uh, on, on that issue. I mean, I, I know there are members of Congress like yourself and others that have been fighting, but for the most part, Congress has wanted to avoid taking these tough issues, these tough votes, just like what you described. Senator Schumer does not want to force the Democrats to vote on whether or not they support the overreach of Joe Biden in forcing these shots on the American people. They want to hide. They want to hide behind the courts. They want to hide behind procedure. And what you are doing is flushing them out.
3: And I commend you for doing that. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Tony. And I just can't help but just talk more about the Dobbs case. I'm so excited that this historic opportunity has presented itself, that for such a time as this, Donald Trump was president to to appoint three conservative Supreme Court justices. And I'm just thrilled by the line of questioning yesterday. I'm thrilled that we have a chance to take this issue back to the local states to protect life at 15 weeks and beyond, you and I want to protect life at conception, but the supermajority of Americans believe that, that we should not be aborting babies that can feel pain, that can suck their thumb, that can hear their mom's voice. We can understand a sibling's voice in the room as well. Um, so this is a golden opportunity God has given us, and I can't wait for the decision come this next summer.
1: I'm with you on that. And and again, I would just underscore we would not be at this moment had there not been men and women in public office that were willing to push back, just what you're doing in the United States Senate. We need more leaders who will rock the boat, if you will, whatever analogy you want to use, we need, or metaphor, we need to be pushing back, holding firm, and defending the Constitution and the freedoms of the American people. And again, uh, Senator. I commend you for doing that. And thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks, Tony. We appreciate all your support. All right. Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas, fighting on your behalf on Capitol Hill. And I hope he succeeds. I know he's he's having, having to fight against his own party. Um, and, and a lot of these guys are are, are good friends and on the other side of this, uh, the other Republicans. But, look, we got to fight. Speaking of fighting... Congressman Chris Smith of New Jersey fighting for religious freedom. He joins us next. Don't go away.
4: Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's Word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The Center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the Church to current issues, this helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the Center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org slash subscriptions.
5: At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742.
1: All right. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Last week, actually on Friday, heavily armed jihadist Fulani Herdsman reportedly attacked villagers in Nigeria's Plateau State, killing 10 Christians and burning down 100 homes. And on Monday, reports were coming out of threats made to the Christian community in Nigeria's southern Zamfara State, where... Uh, churches were warned to stop worshiping and shut down or face fierce attacks. Meanwhile, more than 60 worshipers from a Baptist church in Kanduna state who were kidnapped on October 31st are still being held for ransom, according to the most recent reports. And these incidences are just the tip of the iceberg. But despite what's happening, including the fact that thousands of Nigerian Christians were slaughtered over the past year, the US Secretary of State, anthony Anthony Blinken reported removed uh, Nigeria from the most recent list of countries of particular concern. That's a designation given to countries whose governments have engaged in or tolerated particularly severe violations of religious freedom. It's not even on the second tier list, the special watch list. Well, my next guest, like uh, many others, is saying the Biden administration's decision to remove Nigeria from the CPC list is totally unjustified. And by the way, I think he... Uh, has a good handle on it because he's all he is the author of the legislation that started the special watch list. Joining me now is Congressman Chris Smith. He co-chairs the Tom Lantos Human Rights Commission. He's a senior member on the House Committee on Foreign Affairs and ranking member on the subcommittee on Africa, global health, global human rights, and international organizations. He represents New Jersey's fourth congressional district. Congressman Smith, welcome back to the program.
2: Tony, thank you very much for inviting me up, uh, me back.
1: Thank you. Well, mm-hmm. yesterday, I know you brought this issue up in a hearing on development in the uh, in your subcommittee, um, yes. and you you brought this issue to the forefront and said it was totally unjustified that the mm-hmm. Biden administration removed Nigeria from the CPC list. That it is a retreat from the noble, necessary fight to protect vis- victims of religious persecution what kind of response did you get from the state department
2: well the state department has not vigorously defended their decision matter of fact the assistant secretary for african affairs uh molly fee said she would take it back and i've asked it to be reevaluated it was an unconscionable retreat um when the secretary of state met with bahari who is the president of nigeria he should have been holding him to account for the ongoing and pervasive slaughter of Christians and other Muslims. Uh, the Faladi, you know, they, they try to say this is a, a fight between herdsmen and farmers. Uh, that's not what this is all about. This is about uh, the police that fail to respond uh, as, a, as another slaughter is occurring at a church or in a village. Um, when, when motorcycles and others' uh, means of transportation, they do a blitz in and start slaughtering people for hours, then they leave. Police show up many, many hours later uh, to, to do a casualty count, and, and and there's no, I say again, no consequence. Uh, f- uh, the Fulani um, leader of, uh, he said that, that ethnic um, uh, Fulani is the president of Bahari, uh, and he has unfortunately um, just turned his back uh, with gross callousness and indifference to this suffering. I've had two major hearings that I've chaired a whole year ago, you might recall. Uh, we had a very good hearing, very troubling hearing, and we had Nigerians, including a bishop, who testified, and they talked about this being uh, a huge, um, you know, a, um, uh, 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 just, a, just a, a massive ongoing killing uh, of, of individuals, so who happen to be Christian and some Muslims. And uh, again, I don't know why they did it. There's been no explanation. Um, You know, the statute couldn't be clear, Uh, even if there's indifference uh, to what the country is doing, what the leadership is doing. That still puts them on the CPC list. Uh, If they look the other way and look askance to what is happening. And that's just what uh, Bahari is doing.
1: Well, I, I, my listeners know know this the regular listeners that I in full disclosure I'm on the US Commission on International Religious Freedom so I, I have a, not as much knowledge as you do about this you've been at this a very long time probably the leading voice in Congress for religious uh, to defend those being persecuted for religious purposes But from from my vantage point, what I've seen, I'm I'm hard pressed to find a situation in the last 20 years where you had a country on the top list of country of particular concern, meaning they engage in or tolerate this egregious, systematic, ongoing violation of religious uh, persecution. To be completely removed from the list, even bypassing the second tier list, when nothing has changed in the country, has there ever been a
2: precedent? Is there, is there a precedent for this? No, there, there is not. And, uh, again, I think it was a purely political move on the part of the Secretary of State, Lincoln. Uh, you know, he wanted to go over there and, and, and give goodies out uh, to a, a president uh, who does not deserve it. He needed to be held to account. Uh, there needs to be a sanctioning of Nigeria, uh, and there are a number of things prescribed in, in the International Religious Freedom Act. As you know so well, working on USERF, uh, the commission, And thank you for that service. It is truly remarkable. And your commission couldn't have been more clear that this was an abrogation of our responsibility to speak truth to power. Uh, But when Blinken comes and testifies, and I hope it's soon, I will ask him directly. I wish some reporters would ask him at his press conferences. uh, And and to really drill down, uh, what did you get for it? Why did you capitulate uh, America's commitment to people who are being persecuted for their faith uh, to get along? somehow. I, the, the facts do not warrant it. Even indigenous human rights organizations, including one group, uh, said they were, they, they, were, they were just awestruck by this. How did you do this? Um, and it's not based on the record, that's for sure. And unfortunately, it gives the greener light uh, to the people who are committing genocide to expand that genocide against Christians. And again, you look at the groups, you know, uh, uh, Genocide Watch uh, called Nigeria a Killing Field of defenseless christians a killing field, right, uh, right? And, you know and, and a fifth of all uh, uh, africans live in nigeria right. worldwide right. i mean it's a huge country and to allow this to to fester like this uh i am so disappointed i can't even begin to tell you um you know frank wolf wrote the original international religious freedom act as you know uh and i did the one that bears his name uh we have right. done you know yeoman's work the legislation needs to be followed faithfully it is not
1: Yes. Congressman Smith, we got to leave it at that. But I want to thank you for continuing to lead out on this. And I will just say this is bigger than even religious freedom. And the State Department, for no other reason, should be looking at this because of the humanitarian crisis this conflict could create in Africa. And I know you're on top of that. Folks, stick around. We're coming back with more Washington Watch right after this. I'm Tony Perkins, and you're listening to Washington Watch, and the website is TonyPerkins.com. Be sure and visit there. Lots of resources from all of our guests. If you miss any of the program, you can find it there later. In fact, all of our program's archives, you can share them with your friends at TonyPerkins.com. Yesterday, the chairman and CEO of the Women's Tennis Association announced the immediate suspension of all WTA tournaments in China, including Hong Kong, over the situation of the Chinese tennis star uh, Peng Shuang, uh, who earlier last month posted an alleged sexual assault against a top Chinese government official before mysteriously disappearing. In his statement, Steve Simon said, quote, while we now know where Peng is, I have serious doubts that she is free, safe, and not subject to censorship, coercion, or intimidation, end quote. You know what? I'm glad to see women's tennis taking a stand against the abusive communist regime of China. But the question is, where is the NBA? Where is Coca-Cola? Where's Dow? Where's Procter & Gamble? Where's Airbnb? Where is the Olympic Committee? Where's the Biden administration? Joining me now to talk about this is our good friend, China expert, Gordon Chang, author of The Coming Collapse of China and the Great U.S.-China Tech War. He can be found on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang, Gordon G. Chang, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you so much, Tony. This is a pretty big announcement by the Women's Tennis Association, is it not?
0: Oh, it certainly is. Um, you know, if we go back a couple of years, we can see the NBA's reaction to that tweet by the general manager of the Houston Rockets. It was the NBA was craven, um, but uh, the Women's Tennis Association is really stout and resolute. And I think this shows there's a tipping point of uh, opinion on China, because right now we have, for for instance, Enos Cantor, who has changed his name to Enos Cantor Freedom, who became a U.S. citizen a couple days ago, um, center for the Boston Celtics. Um, The NBA has left him alone, despite saying some pretty nasty things, not only about Beijing, but also about the league and as well, LeBron James. So, this i think really shows that people are looking at china in a very different light
1: so why is that what's happened in the last 2 years that has brought us to this point is partly covid is it the trump administration that was tough with him what is it
0: it's all of the above it's just we don't you know we didn't know when the tipping point would occur but we knew that at some point that it would be just too much that China's actions were too despicable, too repulsive, um, that just people couldn't stand it anymore. Now, as you point out, we've got uh, a president, we've got a number of big American companies, sponsors of the Beijing Olympics that's supposed to start next February. They have yet to be moved, but we are starting to see it's not just the American people. We're starting to see a number of others believe, look, this is just Wrong, and that this is morally wrong for us to have these dealings with China. Uh,
1: again, women's tennis having to be the, the out front running point on this against communist China. You know, you wonder where's Big Bad NBA? Um, and, and in fact, I, if I'm not mistaken in what I read, that the Women's Tennis Association was leaving about a billion dollars on the, on, the, on the table here by walking away from it in the sponsorships and the advertisements that they were getting. But their sponsors like Coca-Cola, Dow, Visa, the others that I mentioned, they haven't said a word to my knowledge about this, have
0: they? No, they haven't. Um, and we also know that the International Olympic Committee has been very quiet, even though they've talked upon now twice in what were obviously staged conversations. Beijing is worried that uh, the momentum is building to move the Olympics. And so it's doing everything possible to try to make sure the IOC doesn't do that. Um, You know, Stalin is reported to have said the death of one person is a tragedy. The death of a million is a statistic. Well, I think what we have seen is the plight of one woman has an emotional resonance with people. And so it's really become impossible, for instance, for the Women's Tennis Association to just continue business as usual. And that means it's going to be impossible eventually for the Men's Tennis Association to uh, have events in China and other sporting organizations. So this will build up steam. And that's a good thing, because Clearly, China is morally repugnant. And we now, I believe, Tony, have a moral imperative not to do business with China.
1: That's a really good point, Gordon, that now this abusive regime has a face on the victim and and the rest of the world can see this. And I think that makes a huge difference as opposed to, you know, faceless, nameless uh, Uyghur Muslims or Christians that are being persecuted. Now we have someone uh, who people can identify with, and I, I do think it's interesting. We have seen this momentum. Are we at that tipping point where we could see the uh, the international community kind of
0: close ranks against China? I hope so, and maybe I'm I'm a bit too optimistic. But I do think that this is the time um, for activist groups to propel. Um, this movement and to fuel it, um, largely because right now Beijing doesn't have an answer. Um, we have seen some very clumsy propaganda um, videos and the rest, and everything that China's been doing has been making it worse for itself. Yeah. Um, so right now, I think this is a time, um, and and obviously, um, as we learn more and more about what's going on in China, not just with the Me Too movement because Peng did accuse Zhang um, Li of rape, um, but also just because, in general, um, right. a lot of things have just occurred.
1: And it's a good time to think about all this at Christmas time when people are buying things, to uh, not buy products made in China, oftentimes with uh, forced labor, and uh, doing business with those companies that turn a the, turn the blind eye to the abuses of the uh, Communist Party. Uh, Gordon, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us.
0: Thank you, Tony. I really appreciate it. All
1: right, folks, don't go away. We're coming back with a deeper look into yesterday's Supreme Court.
7: Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the app store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app.
6: What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs.
8: Visit FRC.org slash internships to apply.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. All right, again, uh, to uh, have your chance to win a stand mug, just text the word mug to 67742. Just follow the links over to enter. Uh, Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop to cancel. Help for help. Visit frc.org slash text for terms and conditions and our privacy policy. So all you need to do is text in and tell us why and what you're going to stand for. All right. So uh, do that. And you could win tomorrow's stand mug. All right. I want to spend some time. A little more time right now to go into some of the points that came out of yesterday's oral arguments in the case of Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. There's a lot that came out, uh, but we'll try to hone in on a few of the key points. Joining me now to uh, to help with this dissection is uh, Congressman Mike Johnson, who is a member of the House Judiciary Committee, a top-ranked Republican for its Subcommittee on the Constitution, Civil Rights, and Civil Liberties. He also has uh, two decades of previous experience in constitutional law. He represents the 4th Congressional District of Louisiana. And on top of all that, he's known me for about 30 years. So, uh, Mike, welcome back to the program.
9: Hey, Tony. It's always a pleasure to be with you.
1: Okay, let's uh, – I want to focus in on a couple of things because I think the left was running scared yesterday. Um, you know, they weren't. I think what's happened, they no longer have the cover of an activist court to protect this house of judicial cards that they've been building all of this on. Justice Sotomayor was asking, you know, these questions repeatedly of uh, Scott Stewart, the uh, Solicitor General from Mississippi. About the advancements in medicine that we've uh, had over the past three or four decades. So let's play uh, that clip. I want to play that clip. So go ahead and play that one.
8: What are the advancements in medicine?
0: I think it's a, an
1: advancement in, in knowledge and concern about such things as uh, fetal pain, what we know the child is doing and looks like, and is fully human you know, from a very early. In,
8: in regular cases, courts decide whether science fits the Daubert standard. Obviously, under the Daubert standard, the minority of people, a a gross minority of doctors, who believe fetal pain exists before 24, 25 weeks, it's a huge minority, and one not well-founded in science at all. So um, I don't see how that really adds anything to the discussion that a small fringe of doctors believe that pain could be experienced before a cortex is formed
1: clearly trying to get away from the science because as you have argued abortion cases from louisiana in the courts science is on the side of the pro-life argument
9: Look, this is not 1973, and as has been pointed out at the time that Roe was decided, I mean, that was almost 50 years ago, you know. Um, if you looked at an ultrasound in, in 1973, it really was blurry. You, you couldn't really tell what you were looking at. Well, now, Tony, as you and I both know and everyone knows, we have 4D ultrasounds. I mean, there's no question about the humanity of an unborn child from the earliest stages. And the reason that Mississippi uh, set the line at 15 weeks, it, they they they— Arguably could have said it earlier, uh, but they, they were they were trying to illustrate the point that this is where the medical technology makes it irrefutable. That you have a child, of course, after you have a heartbeat so early on in the pregnancy, after they're, they're capable of feeling pain and all these other indicators. That's just further affirmation of what we know now, that medical science absolutely proves that from the moment of conception, you have a tiny, tiny human being. And they refuse to acknowledge that on the other side.
1: Yeah, when we talk about 15 uh, weeks, you know, I like to kind of unpack that a little bit. That's almost four months of pregnancy. You know, most people think yeah. of pregnancy in terms of months, not weeks. Um, unless you're a mother, you're counting the weeks. But most of us look at it at nine months. I mean, that's that's halfway through the pregnancy we're talking about. And as you said, fully formed. And what she was pushing back on was the, uh, the, the science that has shown uh, in, in, over the last decade and a half that children – in the womb feel pain and they respond to it and she went down this absurd path of equating babies in utero with dead people responding to stimuli which i was i just was shocked that that's how desperate they are to hold on to to roe
9: everyone was shocked by that i've just left the house floor we're in the middle of a vote series tonight and my colleagues were discussing that very comment by justice sotomayor one of the nine justices in the supreme court it's shocking that their, their arguments and their support for Roe and its progeny are so vapid, right? They're, they're so empty. They have nothing left to stand on. Everyone recognizes that this is a legal fiction, that the Constitution of the United States clearly does not confer a right to abortion, period, end, end of sentence. And, and because of that, we have, for almost a half century, perpetuated this legal fiction at great cost. Of course, 63 million or more unborn children. Tony, I turned 50 in January. I'm just a year older than Roe. If you look at the numbers and you consider the staggering magnitude of this, I mean, think about it. At least one third or more, somewhere between one third and one half of my entire generation is not here. Uh, Tony, my high school graduating class should have been twice as large as it was, right? Everybody who's 50 years of age and younger, we're missing half of our cohort. We're missing our peers. And and this the staggering The magnitude of it, it should settle on everyone. So they're making these strained legal arguments and and trying to thread a needle that everyone knows is wrong. It's long past time that we get beyond this tragedy and, and, and fix what has ailed all of our constitutional jurisprudence since they created this legal fiction in 1973.
1: Yeah, and, and that's where I want to hone in on for a moment is because I, I think I could almost, I couldn't see them because all I heard was audio, but I could I could sense the fear in their voices uh, and, and in their questioning, especially as she attached Roe to all of these other cases, Griswold, Lawrence, Obergefell, fearful that this judicial activism, if they let it go in Roe, could make all of these other cases vulnerable where they snatched issues away from the American people in the democratic process and said we know better than you and we're going to solve this issue which we know is not true because 50 years later we're still having uh, actually a more intense debate over abortion than we were in 1973
9: That's exactly right. I mean w- one of her arguments there was gee that we don't want the court to be political and make a political decision. I mean it's almost laughable. It, of course there are advocates on both sides but That's kind of the point. Look, the the principle uh, behind all of this that, that no one should ever lose sight of in spite of all the rhetoric in the midst of all of it is remember this. If the Constitution is silent to an issue such as this, it is not the job of unelected judges on the Supreme Court to make the decision. It is supposed to be in the purview of the people themselves. And that is through their duly elected representatives and the legislative branch of government in the states. That is... a one of the foundational principles of our constitutional order, our constitutional republic. And when Roe was decided, they took a hatchet to that principle. And, and to restore it means that we restore constitutional order, the original meaning of the Constitution, what, what it was intended, how our system of government was intended to work. It is the right of the people to make these decisions. And, and through their duly elected representatives who are accountable to those people, and not judges who we can never uh, touch or, or question. And, and I think people are waking up and recognizing that, and that's going to be a good day in America when we can get this corrected.
1: That was essentially the opening argument for, for, from the Solicitor General of Mississippi, saying, look, this is, should be left with the people to decide these tough, hard issues. And I think in part, and you tell me what you see as a uh, you know, an observer of the court, one who's actually been in the court there arguing When you look at what Justice Kavanaugh had to say, zeroing in on that very issue, that suggests to me that he understands and we may have the majority on the court ready to put these issues back where they belong with the state legislatures.
9: That's right. You know, uh, many of us were very encouraged by the the questions asked by Justice Kavanaugh. He was. One who some people thought there may be a question mark over, where would he be on the issue? And and I think he went right to the heart of it. And and he listed, as you know, a, a number of decisions, 12 or 15 or so, I lost count, of, of cases that overruled previous opinions of the court that were wrong. And so this idea of stare decisis, you know, the, the fancy legal word that says you must follow case precedent, is not actually always true. And there are times in the history, and there have been many times in our history as a nation, where we have had to correct a past uh, error by the court. And and this is certainly one of them. And I I think by the questions that Kavanaugh asked, Justice Kavanaugh, I, I think that's a very good indication where he is. And I count... At least five votes now, Tony, that's, that's my prognostication, uh, that, that, that we may be very, very well be able to overturn Roe with this, and uh, hopefully there'll be six. I, there's some question, I think, still about where Justice Roberts may be, but I don't think that he wants this opinion to be five to four. That's my guess. I mean, uh, all of our guesses are as good as they are, but having watched the court a long time and knowing these justices, I, I, I think we're in, I think we have a high degree of confidence that something is about to change.
1: This is Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Congressman Mike Johnson of Louisiana is joining me from Capitol Hill. You hear that uh, noise in the background. That's not a fire alarm. That's uh, their voting indication. You got to vote on the floor here. I know you got to run here in just a moment. But let me ask you this question. I think this is my view. If the court were to rule, as we've been describing, putting this back to the states, I see this as a path for the court to detangle itself from politics and actually restore competence in the court that it is not a uber legislative body
9: what a healthy outcome that would be you know part of the problem that we have right now is that the american people are losing their faith in our institutions they're losing their faith as i was arguing with attorney general merrick garland before the uh, the judiciary committee a few weeks ago that the great danger of weaponizing the Department of Justice or or allowing the court to act like a super legislature is that the people lose faith in their institutions. They lose faith in the idea that justice is blind, that it really really is equal justice under law, as is inscribed on the marble above the court. Um, these These are critical principles to have to maintain a constitutional republic. We're still trying to keep this republic. We have to remember always, and you and I talk about a lot, We're still an experiment on the world stage. We're only 245 years into this grand experiment of self-governance. But one of the underpinnings, one of the foundations of that is the belief that our our system of justice actually works as designed. We've gotten away from that in recent decades, and we must get back to it, back to that foundational principle. I, I think we can. I'm an optimist. I think we had a great day in court yesterday, and I think good things are ahead. And
1: I think this is a shot in the arm to state legislatures where policies should be decided. You and I both background in the Louisiana legislature. Um, I, I've always been uh, kind of biased toward in favor of state legislatures because I think that's where the process is closest to the people to decide these issues. And, 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 and I know you were very much involved in Louisiana in advancing the life issue as I did when I was there. And I think that effort, oftentimes in uh, receiving criticism from some saying, now's not the time, don't do it, the court will strike it down. I'm grateful that we have seen state legislators pushing forward on these issues, forcing the hand of the court. And I think, and this is probably what the left is afraid of, that you'll see states that will reassert themselves in many of these issues, and the left will lose the leverage that they've had through the courts,
9: I think that's exactly what they're fearful of, uh, because they know that their 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 policies are not popular. I mean, we see that in every polling uh, now nationwide on all these big issues. But now, because of the advancement of med- medical technology, because of all these these factors that we've talked about that are different than they were 50 years ago. People recognize you're not talking about a blob of tissue. You're talking about an unborn child, a human being, and there is inherent value to that. And, of course, let's always remember our founding principle is articulated in the Declaration. It's a self-evident truth that we're created by God and he's the one that gives us our rights. It begins, obviously, with the right to life. When the American people recognize that, they can empower their legislators to act accordingly, and that is exactly how the system was designed to work.
1: I, I've, I found it interesting that uh, some of the uh, the talking heads overnight have said, "Well, this is simply going to uh, really energize the Democratic base going into the midterm elections." You know, I don't see that because they don't they can't do anything legislatively. They've you know, Congress has been talking about, or Democrats have been talking about codifying Roe, knowing that this was coming in the courts, and they've not had the ability to do that. So. I don't see why people would go out and support the Democrats because they can't do anything in Congress. If anything, I see this as fueling the support for pro-life conservatives at the state level who will now take on this issue if, in fact, it comes back to them from the courts.
9: I think that's right. And there will be a lot of important work to be done. Just just uh, overturning Roe is not the end of the battle. It's the beginning. Now, I'm grateful to be from Louisiana, one of the dozen states or so that will, that has a trigger law that will automatically become a an abortion-free state, pro-life. Uh, and there's a number of states that will join us. But, of course, there's a number of states that are going the opposite direction as well. And there are many states who will, will have yet to address the question comprehensively on the state level. So there's a, there's a yeah. lot of work to be done. I do think it energizes the base, and I I think it's going to be good uh, for the party, but more importantly, it'll be good for the principle of what's right and what we should be pursuing.
1: That's right. And for our republic. Congressman Mike Johnson, no, you got to go vote. Thanks so much for uh, taking time to join us this afternoon. Great to talk to you.
9: Thanks, Tony. You too. Keep it up.
1: All right. Uh, Congressman Mike Johnson of uh, Louisiana. Look, I, I, we talked about it yesterday, but I just want to say it again. This is the result of people not losing heart, being involved in the process, even when it sometimes looked hopeless and even facing defeats, coming back and doing again. Why? Because it was the right thing to do, to stand for the sanctity of human life. And regardless of what the court does, we'll continue to stand for the sanctity of human life because every life is created in the image of God. All right, folks, thanks so much for joining us. Until next time, I encourage you with the words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, by all means, keep standing.
0: Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported.